you have to show up. You have to just like be involved. Otherwise, people are not going to be calling you. It is an energy exchange. It's like you need to be showing up and giving as much as you're getting with your friends. with writer Nada Alec. If you listened last week, you already know that she's great. And she is the author of Bad Thoughts, which is a book of short stories that I really loved. And she's working on a novel right now. And, you know, you could begin here. Why not? You can do whatever you want. But there might be some callbacks to the first half of our conversation. Plus, there's more context about her background in part one and... You might just want to listen in order and then return to this. And if you did listen last week, welcome back. This is the second half of a recorded conversation with Nada at her house during the height of the heat wave here in LA. We unexpectedly spent most of the day together and I talked about it last week, but it felt like this lovely fever dream. And I was going to cut this down to be the length of one episode and I really didn't want to. I could have continued speaking to her and I hope she comes back and we get to have many more recorded and and not recorded conversations. You know this already if you listened last week, but Nada is incredibly humble and creative and just, you know, one of those rare people that is actually as cool when you meet them as you hoped that they would be. And she was so cool, but also so warm. And this is the rare part, you know, she was really inviting and genuine and kind. And that is, you know, even more evident in this second half of the conversation you're about to hear as a refresher. Last week, we covered, you know, how she got started writing and how she ended up in LA and this city as a setting for her book. And we get into, you know, a plethora of topics, everything from growing up Catholic and feeling disembodied and shadow integration. So we might, you know, call back to some of those things, but we pick up the conversation here with me asking her what she does when she's feeling down, when she's feeling bad. And from there it gets into a conversation about, routines. I always say this, but the second part of the show, act two, as Ira Glass would say, is, you know, when it really comes alive. So without further ado, here is the second half of my conversation with Nada. Thank you so much for being here. Quick housekeeping note, if you were considering or listened last week or have been listening in general, in process, it's an extension of this podcast and it was meant to start last week but it's postponed. It's actually starting next week. So if you were considering joining it or you want to learn more about what it is, the link's in the show notes. If you like what we're talking about in these episodes, you might like it. Managing your nervous system is crucial to writing it as, as we've talked about, but when you're having a bad day or you wake up or I don't know, for me, the week before my period, I like 
so garbage. Like, how do you pivot? Like, if you're like, all right, well, I actually have to exist in this world or I actually have this deadline or on the other end, if you could just put it till tomorrow, like walk me through, you know, what you do when you're down to try to bring yourself back up. I'm not so good at keeping a routine. I design an environment where writing will happen. So that means I need to keep my space clean. I need to have a dedicated place for it. If the writing happens or not, at least the intention was there. Like I'll have the documents open. Sometimes maybe like the only thing I could do is, you know, I've got this like notes app that's just for the project and it'll feel like working, but I'm not writing. I'm just writing notes about some ideas that I have or something. But I've definitely blown days on just ruminating or, yeah, emails or, you know, I think people should give me advice. Like, I don't have <laughs> advice. I mean, obviously, I recognize the privilege of being able to just write full time. And I, for so long, had a full time job and absolutely hated anyone who didn't. And was filled with a lot of <laughs> shadow. <laughs> so now that I do, I think it's important for people to recognize like I sacrificed so much to do this too. I don't have a normal life in order to kind of create this vacuum for myself. There's a lot of things that I can't do in service of this, but this is what I've chosen. So I have certain rituals that, you know, maybe I can trick myself into into motivating myself. I, every day at three o'clock, I, that, that I will do every most days is I'll go for a run. And it sounds, I don't even really talk about it because it's so nothing at this point. I've been running since I was 16 and it's like, sometimes my best friend will call me or I'll just tell her I'm doing something else. Cause I don't want people to think mm -hmm. the worst thing is when people talk about exercise, cause it just makes you think about how you're not exercising. So it's not that. And I need people to know it's the laziest run you've ever seen. I stop all the time. I am not pushing myself. The fact that I've been running for decades and have not improved would suggest that. But what I've realized now is it is my ritual in that it's a way for me. So if I'm writing for hours, I'm in a really heady space. And it's no coincidence that I hate three o'clock. I've always hated three o'clock. I think it's a dumb time to be alive. It's the, the sun is weird. It's like, it's, it's so direct. I like the beginnings and the ends of things. I like to kind of like be nestled in, in like, okay, the beginning, the morning filled with promise, the evening wind down. The middle is hell. And there's a correlation between, well, yeah, that's because I've been in my writing headspace and so it was almost intuitive that I started running at three o'clock every day. And that actually, in that book that I was reading about the shadow, is a really great way to process and let out the shadow because I'm in nature, I'm doing something that's aggressive, like primal, mm -hmm. sweating, usually listening to like, honestly, Drake or like Nicki Minaj or something like embarrassing. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like working that out and I didn't realize I was doing that until I read that book and I was like, that makes so much sense that I do that at this time where I've reached peak mental capacity. So stuff like that, like finding something. And then I get so many ideas. Like the other day I ran home and just wrote all the ideas. I was trying to memorize them on the steps up. I was like, 
okay, don't forget that, you know, cause it'll just come to you. So cool. A movement is huge, obviously, like you can do it going for walks or whatever, but it's just been this part of my, I guess, practice that I didn't even recognize was such a important part. Elizabeth Gilbert says of like the idea might go if you miss it. Of there's a real organization to living as a as a writer that I'm seeing here, and just outside of keeping your ideas in a Google Doc where you're able to find them and catching them and organizing a structure of of this book. I mean, this book is so elaborate and intentional in the way that it's written that I'm sure I'm not smart enough to pick up on or literary enough to pick up on a lot of things in there and the intricacies of it. But I remember I really love, I love Dick and Chris Krauss. And when I learned that she mentions this book that she credits as Dick, that is actually a book that she will write two years later. And like the, like, I love learning about that stuff after and like seeing it, it it's, it's so meaningful to me. And one thing I, I really wanted to ask you is you have been compared to some of the greats like like Didion and even on the back of your your book there there's a quote Miranda July and Sally Sally Rooney and I know Didion was one of the influences for the cover but how do you feel about that and just the way the book has been received and getting compared to other writers yeah it's it's weird and cool actually there was like a review in Gawker <laughs> that like I didn't even know they were going to write one, but uh, it was very confusing. I think it it was mostly positive, but it was definitely under the guise of like criticism and sort of using my book as an example of like the state of things and auto fiction and the sort of lack of plot, whatever. And I think there's so many books out there that you could really cherry pick any pattern that you see and kind of claim a thing and diagnose it as such. And so... I sent it to my friend, Allie Robottom, who's this really incredible, amazing writer. And she was like, how are you feeling about it? And I was like, I feel great. Are you kidding me? Like she literally put me in with, you know, some of my favorite writers. I'm like, there's no part of me that was upset about this review. I was thrilled. <laughs> I was like thrilled to be nominated. You know, like it really was like to kind of be mentioned in this, in the same, you know, and, and, that's what people do as a shorthand. They say it's like X, Y, Z. I think being a writer was this idea in my head for so long that I had no idea how it would be received. And it did so much better and did so much more than I could have ever dreamed of. And so maybe that's why I'm feeling a little bit more centered now is like I had a really positive experience with yeah. like the response. And that's what you hope for is you you write something that is maybe a little bit weird and you hope that people will get it and I really do feel like people got it and that was hugely validating for me just to feel like you are you've got like a seat at the table I guess and yeah. that you can keep going from here because usually people are indifferent not even negative there's so many books that fly under the radar that are so good and so to have even had like a moment or yeah interviews like I'm grateful for every every one of them to just get to talk about this book because it does happen so quick like the cycle happens so quick you get like a month and then it's kind of on to the next I feel like I've just been spit out of a tornado and, <laughs> and I'm still trying to like get my bearings with it but I am filled with gratitude and I know that sounds really cheesy or like but the other day I was like texting with my agent and I was like I was walking down the street 
and I, you know, the classic have a bouquet of flowers and it's <laughs> feeling very romantic about myself. I don't know. I just was, I was like in my own movie. And it was just this like spontaneous welling up of gratitude where I just thought about like my friend had just interviewed me for bomb and it's coming out soon. And we were just texting and just thinking about all the people along the way, like including you that like took time and spent time with my mind in this way, this thing that I love books because they're so thoughtfully constructed and it's just such a labor of love and there's so much effort. And when someone receives it, it does mean a lot. And so many people like helped me with sharing it and continue to. So I think that it's so, it is such a dream. <laughs> so well-deserved truly. And the fact that you don't take it for granted, you know, that's really lovely and, and truly not a, you are incredibly talented and I really admire you and you're incredibly humble and kind and it's not lost on me. And I know that you're just, you're way cool. Thank oh my you. God, thank you. This is going to be a record of our budding friendship. Our first conversation. Yeah. Recorded. It, it's your least favorite time of day. And I actually crowdsourced okay. oh um, your, in, you have a, to get to an interview. So I've asked a, a few of our mutual friends, but, but one of our, our friends, she asked a question and it's a voice text. So I'm just going to play it. Okay. Well, first of all, does she write for anyone in particular? And second of all, like, does she agree with the sentiment of like, once it's out in the world, it's your audiences, it's not yours anymore? I think, as I've said before, like the, the process of writing it, you really don't, you cannot conceive of a, a, a reader on the other end of it. You just, you, you can't write in that way. I, that would have meant that I knew that it was going to sell it was such a private thing and I was writing maybe for my best friend or my friends, but I couldn't have, it's still hard for me to think that there are people out there reading it. So I don't really have an awareness of, of that. And I think if I did, it would make me too self-conscious and I would, I wouldn't take as m many chances if I was just thinking about everyone on the other end of it. So maybe I'll think about audience now more, but, um, in the process of writing, I just can't, it just would, it, it would mess with me too much. Um, and I think identity as a writer, you know, it's interesting because I, I feel so much more connected to Eve Babbitts and that a lot of her work was quote unquote unserious, like not taken seriously and was, it was funny and sexy and, you know, all of the things that Joan Didion would never dare to be. And I think the identity of writer now is maybe more out of necessity because I did quit my job to to fully pursue this. So I can't afford to uh, be coy about <laughs> what I'm trying to do. Like I very much, that's why I put so much effort into promoting it and, and, and sharing it with people. Uh, I have to own the identity of writer in order to do that. Uh, it's almost like speaking something into existence, right? Like if I want to do this for real full time, I, I have to tell people that I'm doing it and that I, I think you said this in an interview with our friend Annabelle, which I loved. I loved Annabelle's interview so much, but you really consider the reader's experience and you want it to be joyful. Like you want to make someone laugh. And I really loved that. I consider there being a reader there, but I hadn't put it in my brain of like, oh, you want it to be joyful. Like I really loved that actual thought because similar to 
and I think with when someone is writing, I know that's not always the case for for great writing. Like a, a sometimes it's having an experience be joyful. Not only is impossible, but is if you're writing something really dark, it can be great and beautiful, but but not. It's meant to make you not feel joyful. You know, like I think there's there's a, a spectrum that that's not possible. But in your work, that it's cool that you're considering that. But I also think like using the word cool, it's also, I've said this several times, but your earnestness and your directness on what you're doing is refreshing to me as someone who I've accepted I'm never going to be an Olsen twin, you know, or I'm never going to be like, I wonder if it's our generation or like you've talked about having an inability to be purely earnest without adding a, a like a wink to everything. And I think you kind of have to, when you're promoting a book or doing something, just be like, this is my thing. I made my thing. Like, how are you wrestling with, like, I think it's cool what you're doing, but I've, I've found with people who I, people we surround ourselves with, it's like, I'm just grateful that you're being honest about how much you try because, and I guess we've already covered this, but I think Maddie touched on that a little bit in this too, of the part that you have to do about your art that, that every musician also has to do is, is talk about it and do the cycle and your openness about it. it your earnestness is actually all, I'm not going to be this character. I'm going to like aloof. I'm going to, I'm not going to have a persona. Like, was that a conversation with yourself? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think it was just my inability to have one. <laughs> I think it's cool to commit to the bit so hard. You know, there's so many artists out there who are doing kind of like an Andy Kaufman thing or like a David Bowie thing. And I do admire them, but I'm not there yet. It seems too hard. <laughs> I don't know. I can do it in my writing. I can be a persona in my writing. And I think it's helpful for me to just be honest about, yeah, how hard it is and how much I I do try because I think it holds a lot of people back when they see art that they really connect with or artists and um, they can just very easily go, well, well, that's because they're so talented, right? Or that's just, you know, they get to do that. That's for them. And because it took me so long to give myself permission to even explore what it would look like. Yeah. It's something that I try to encourage anyone who is, wants to talk to me about writing or they're sort of toying with it. It's like you kind of have to get over this idea that you have that artists are these like kind of special other people in some respects they can be. I mean, I think still when I watch really talented musicians or especially singers where it's so obvious, I'm like, okay, well you are the chosen one. Like this is your gift, but there is an element of it that is just cultivated through hard work and, and like showing up and, and being willing to be bad. And it's still something that I struggle with. So I just want to dispel that for anyone because it was, it was really difficult for me to not have anyone to tell me this, you know, and I would just compare myself, my like shitty first draft to like the finished product of a published book and be like, well, why don't my sentences look like that? It's an insane, really mean thing to do to yourself. And I think a lot of artists perpetuate that myth 
because it does work for them and it is it does make them really interesting but i would say maybe knowing that it's a performance is helpful we we share a a favorite movie my dinner with andre which i feel like is the first podcast i found in my internet stock of you last <laughs> night and the the this line that you that you had posted we've kind of covered at length but he talks about he's been a performer his whole life and so with that you know puncturing why the Pete always says this of his podcast too like it's it's so long because you know kind of 45 minutes in you can just be people with each other and forget your recording and just realize that we're not that different and, and have a conversation it feels so good right because it's connection to get into that my dinner with Andre volley of conversation but what do you do when you're when you're not like, like when you hear your ego coming in or your I have this interesting privilege of I'll do it several times I know in this in this production but when I'm editing I I hear my voice and I'm like oh god you said that because you wanted to you wanted them to know that or you you like I can and I can take it out right where in real life conversation, I leave the conversation and my anxiety comes up of like, why did you say that? Why didn't you say that? Or what, you know, and there are certain people I feel so comfortable around, like I'm sure you're Andrea or in the book Mona and um, your husband and certain people. And a lot of it, like, have you do the key? Have you cracked the code to constantly puncture that? Like, do you have the answer for me? Like what, where do you, how do you do that? Do you leave interactions feeling that way? Are you, are you Buddha? <laughs> like, help. <laughs> no, that's my whole life is ruminating over something stupid I said to someone that for sure they did not remember even meeting me. Right. I think that's very common. Because everyone's in their own head thinking of their... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, back to the like considering the reader thing, I do, I, I don't even know if I'm doing it today, but usually if I know I'm going to dinner... Um, or I'm going to a party or something, I want to be interesting, not so much to come across as an interesting person, but just to entertain the group and entertain myself. I think that a lot of people have really lost that sort of the art of conversation. And I, I feel like I'm the one usually that's sort of setting the tone for the group and being like, just throwing out like, a bunch of weird things I read or stories and then I'll watch it kind of grow. And, you know, maybe that's manipulative, but like, I'll be like, well, this person hasn't talked for a while. Like, how do I pull them in? And it really does feel like this thing that I'm creating. And sure, that's something that I'm, you know, probably unconsciously doing to make people like me. But I also think it's such a gift to give to people. And I wish more People did that and I, I struggle with people who are super shy wallflowers who just won't contribute. <laughs> Obviously, not everyone is going to be like the most extroverted person, but I think I try so hard to make, I'm like, why not talk about real shit and make this an interesting experience for everybody, which is maybe aggressive and not everyone wants to do that. And some people are perfectly fine to just kind of keep to small talk or whatever if I'm attempting that and then people are responding 
I will let myself off the hook for something. I'm just not going to land it every time. But I'm like, well, I made it more interesting for, you know, the group. So I did my part. And that that can sometimes help. And yeah, just I guess I I don't know. It is such a mixed bag when you're meeting people, especially in L.A. You sort of feel like, well, how much am I supposed to say about what I do, everyone's always kind of like sizing everybody else up. And now I'm like, I don't even want to talk about my book when I'm out at all. I'm just, it's so out of my system, but um, I don't know. I think it'll always kind of plague me, but doing stuff like this actually helps me get over myself. And I'm sure, I mean, you've done 400 of these and you still feel like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I mean, I know I can, and I don't know if this is, I consider like Midwestern where you come from too, of like, I know exactly what you mean about like being at a table and being like, all right, I'm, it, it, there's an energy to that. Like I might, I can leave an interaction being like, well done, but I feel depleted because it took so much out of me to be like, wait, do they feel included? I hope that they like, especially if I was the one that, made everyone come there or it's my party or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like with this, it's not even a skill. I, I just am, I've always been able to, I could talk to a wall, you know, like I can talk and talk and talk to the point where I want to not do that as much, you know, like I want to ask a question, keep it tight, move on. But I also love the art of conversation where where it is a volley, and I do think there's something to the person across from me will feel more comfortable if they see me less as a as a journalist asking, you know, the specific things that they kind of know I'm going to ask and they're reading their script. I want to not talk about anything you've ever talked about before. However, if someone's finding you for the first time, they're not going to understand what we're talking about if they don't have any context. So it's this sort of delicate balance and I'm, I'm editing in my head. So this feels very different than in non-recorded life. But the beauty of this is that like today, especially because I was kind of coming in feeling off and not having my notes as prepared or as organized as I wanted to, I'm able to edit out my long questions and I'm able to make them tighter where in an interaction where I come in hot, not feeling my best self, it's just there's no editing, you know, so. That is the horror of existing in the world. <laughs> Here we are. Okay, this one is from our friend Alyssa Benjamin, who was, uh, who was actually the 400th episode of this podcast. What's been the thing that she thought would be super challenging, but now that she did it, she realizes it was as easy as opening a door? This week's episode is brought to you by Sprout Living. Let me tell you about this plant-based protein powder. You might know already, but I, you know, I'd say I'm pretty active. I walk a decent amount and I'm known, you know, something of a pedestrian. And let's just, you know, make it be known that products like Sprout Living, these blends of delicious protein powders keep me going. And they make them with incredible ingredients, we talk in these episodes, Nada and I, about how wild it is that we have to eat and figure out things to just keep us going. And it's really nice when we have a product that avoids anything unnecessary, additives, 
gums, thickeners, natural flavorings that, you know, turns out aren't so natural. It's it's in here. There's information about it. You can Google it too. It was wild. Listen, Sprout Living, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff because they use only powerful superfoods and adaptogens and nootropics to make these products that are protein blends that are multifunctional. So it's not just protein powder. It's actually really convenient and cost saving because of course, you know, you're you're getting a lot of bang for your buck and you're getting you're helping the planet to reduce waste. Their Epic Protein Pro Collagen Blend, for example, contains many ingredients that can help boost your body's own production of collagen. There's a mindful matcha, which is really nice and can boost mental clarity, which clearly I need and focus and memory. It's really, really great. And you know what? The best part of this is that it tastes good. It doesn't taste like, you know, something that you think is healthy and tastes terrible. It's really incredible how, how great it tastes. And it's not just me that thinks that I've given it to friends. I've shared think you will like it and you know give it a go give it a go there's many flavors to try there's a chocolate maca which tastes like chocolate milk and there's complete coffee blend that you know has coffee in it so of course it's going to be effective and taste good and use the code let it out for 20 percent off your order again that's code let it out for 20 percent off your order Thank you so much, Sprout Living. I I really love you, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here listening, and I I think that trying them out would be really cool. Looking back when I was writing it and... I wasn't even really telling my agent. I I was so weird about it. I and I was so nervous to tell people when it was sort of half baked and and then when I sold the book, you're suddenly on the phone with all these editors at these big publishers and everything felt so intimidating to me. And then you sell the book and you it goes through rounds of editing and and that's really painful. And so I think looking back, being assertive and like asking for what I wanted. I'm surprised at how receptive people are when you just ask. I was so, I'd be like so nervous to change the cover, whatever editorial disagreement or something. And and then you forget, you're like, no, this is my thing. I'm actually at the helm. You, you spend so long, especially like us both being in corporate world where you're constantly apologizing and trying to navigate all of these variables. But like with this, just realizing like, oh, right, I can own this and this is my thing. You know, you create this whole story in your head about an email. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I used to be nervous to talk to these people. It makes me feel like I've grown so much where I have no problem like texting my agent right now about anything. I earned that. And so I can just be more confident about everything with the next book and not feel like, do they hate me? Am I putting them out? You know, like whatever. Cause I'm still like so kind and you know, I, I don't think I'm ever asking too much, but yeah, you're not, ne- we don't have to worry about you. You're never going to like turn into a, yeah, you're all you, your baseline is so nice that 
watch you see it like turn into a monster oh God. the second book <laughs> such a bummer <laughs> yeah and and i think it's just like the lack of knowing like we'll no one is back no one like tells you anything like they just i think maybe they've been in it for so long so they assume that that you know how it all works but even like the timeline for things you know they'd be like okay we need this in like two weeks and you're like i haven't heard from you in like months and now you need just now that i know how everybody operates it just in publishing somebody needs to like i'm sure that there are literal courses you know about this but i didn't take them huge learning curve for me it's not about just yeah. writing the book it's about how to like the business side of things so it's really freeing now that you've punctured that yeah like and i want to tell other people who have questions about it because it feels like such valuable information and could have alleviated a lot of suffering for me. Well, Lindsay also asked a, a, a funny one. Um, Lindsay is our, our friend who connected us. So she's the reason this is all, this operation is all happening. But she asks, would you rather Ryan be able to, Ryan's your husband, mm -hmm. be able to read your mind or have access to your internet history? He already has access to my internet history. He has my passwords. I... I'm not hiding anything. There's nothing that I'm, I have no secrets. I wish I did. I wish I were a more mysterious person, but I will tell him my dreams. Like I just, there's just nothing that I'm hiding. So he can, he can do that any day. So yeah, I guess I'd love for him to read my mind. Going back to the shadow thing, I do think there's Anything, my grandma used to say that um, a lie has no legs. It needs additional lies to support it. Mm. And I think, not not that it's lies, but like anything that you're hiding or anything that you're trying to protect from other people knowing, usually you feel shame about it. And, you know, Brene Brown says like shame can't exist when it's shared, it dissipates. And so I think going off a of shadow, like whatever you're hiding, you have to manage like the beach ball and that takes so much energy. So in a way it's good, but also, you know, both things. It's probably, there's a spectrum that I could probably find more sitting around, but I, I, I like that answer. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even that I'm like an open book to everyone. I, I am weirdly a private person, but the the keepers of my secrets are just like my friends and family I'll you know if you're close to me you know everything but I'm not I really don't share too much in that sense like on social media or anything but as long as like the people around me know you know it's yeah. a lot of just embarrassing stuff that you're like you kind of need just a repository for some of those things you know totally to let you go do your next interview, I've already I've already been here basically the entire day, but I have these fun rapid fire questions. Should we just do a couple of yeah. them? Okay, I'm I'm curious your your food situation. What's the what's your, what was in that cookbook bag? Like, what's your favorite food? What's the best? Like, what do you eat like in a day of writing? What are some of your favorite things or the best thing you've had recently? Hmm, I love going to restaurants for dinner. I could just do that and not eat anything else for the rest of the day. I could just like, but I love cheese and bread and, you know, a real Mediterranean <laughs> diet, I guess, is olive oil and vinegar salads and more like savory stuff. I think lunch is dumb. Uh, it makes no sense to me. 
So I would rather just do uh, like a smoothie for breakfast and then just eat so much for dinner and probably at midnight. That's, yeah, I, I can't cook. I don't know. I have no interest. I've tried. So I guess not Didian-esque in, in that way. You don't have your um, Coke and your almond and cooking all day. <laughs> no, no. No, that's where I really need to like reintegrate the feminine because uh, I don't care. I could just, I just ate like a, a turkey jerky sick, which is disgusting, but just for sustenance before this. Um, that's like story of my life. I have the same length. Yeah. It makes me feel, it made me feel seen and cozy that you were doing that. <laughs> yeah. I really don't have like a sophisticated palate. To your point of like the fact that we have to do that to like survive and, you know, even there, there's a a line in your book that is right up there with some that I've, that I've already mentioned where, let's see, we'll be here all day if I try to find it in my very disorganized notes, but the, the character was talking about their partner who was in 12 steps for like a Mm -hmm. addiction drinking or something. And they, they were like my issues are uncontained and you know his are like a an an island minor it was like a country with clear borders but mine are like thousands of uninhabitable islands <laughs> that one i like i was just like oh my god i really identify that with that because i've often had the thought of like god i wish my thing was you know i've been in a lot of 12 step rooms but i a lot of the things that were my anxiety pools are, are, aren't things that are so quittable and complex. And that just, that's why I'm, what you said about the food thing. It's so interesting that we have to, we live in these bodies and we're, you know, gonna, we're all gonna die. And it's, you know, it's all very interesting to me. Um, okay. What is your greatest lesson on, um, friendship? You feel like it feels to me that it's important to you and you're a really good friend. I I have a lot of old friends that I've I met a lot of them when I was like 21 and we've just I don't know how it's happened but we've just sustained these like really lifelong friendships but then I also have this thing where I'll like get infatuated with like new friends and some of those are short-lived and some of those like turn into real friendships but to me you know, as you get older and like our parents' generation, like, you know, friendship is not as prioritized and in favor of family. And then you grow up and you have a lot of like lonely older people. And um, I think I'll always have a place for my friends in my life, no matter what. I think just uh, prioritizing them and showing up. Oftentimes people, you know, will be like, oh, I didn't get invited to this thing or they just like scroll social media and they feel, you know, like they have FOMO or whatever. And I'm always like, well, the thing that you're lacking, you need to go and give to someone else. So like when's the last time you ask someone to go, mm. uh, you know, do a thing. And my one of my best friends, Kenny, is really good at like having adventures and going on trips and, you know, it doesn't even have to be expensive, but like if you just watch the stories, you'd be like, wow, he, what a life. And he's like, you know, what people don't see is the work and the logistics and like the not fun stuff that goes into having these experiences. And it is so true. And so I try to just say yes when my friends are like, hey, do you want to go to Ojai for the weekend? Like I wasn't like that before. You know, I was always like, no, I have to stay in and work. And 
you have to show up. You have to just like be involved. Otherwise, people are not going to be calling you. It is an energy exchange. It's like you need to be showing up and giving as much as you're getting with yeah. your friends. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Whatever you're not giving is what you're lacking. That's so good. What about on romantic relationships? How did you meet your husband? You've been together for... Since 2017. But oh, so we had kind of known each other peripherally through friends for years before that because I knew Nick in his band for a long time. So we'd kind of always, you know, we were both always dating other people and then, and then we weren't. I dated, you know, a lot of guys who were like kind of like the Peter Pans who were not ready and there's something really exciting about that. And I've since stopped telling my friends to like not pursue those men because... I think you have to kind of go through that and figure out what you don't want or how you don't want to be treated. And, you know, it can be really fun and honestly great fodder for your art to kind of like really get swept up in like the wrong guy and, you know, the drama of it all. As long as you're not consistently finding yourself in the same patterns where you seem to be meeting the same type of person at that point you really kind of need to figure out like what is it in me that's getting something out of this and for me I just it was just like exhaustion of like <laughs> kind of going through that and then feeling like I just like deserved more and that I was ready and once I kind of intentionally was like I want to invite this I, I just want to create space in my life to invite a good person in it was like three weeks later and like Ryan showed up my advice would be like well everyone should have orion but you know he's already taken but like everybody's relationship is going to be different i just like lucked out and ended up with like a truly good person who is really inspiring to me and supports me and like we're like really good friends so i had to believe that i deserved that you know so and that just took growing up and that you know don't feel bad if you're hung up on some guy that's not texting you back. That's kind of just a part of it. And try to soak in that storyline for a while. See where that goes. And uh, and then try another one. That, I think that's a trick not to linger too long in one of those. What are you most curious about right now? What do you wish that I would have asked you that you want to talk about right now if we were at a dinner party, but you also knew there was a microphone. Like what, what is something that you are interested in currently? I mean, there's so many things. I think when you're writing a novel, it's just such an open-ended thing to have an excuse to like research random stuff. And then it's all under the guise of like writing. I'm getting back into like wanting to do hypnotherapy, uh, really into like AI stuff. I went into the metaverse for the first time uh, at my friend's. She has an Oculus, so it's like VR. But then she was like, no, you have to just experience it. And it, to me, it's like the end of, it's the end of uh, human civilization. It Nothing will compete. It's over for us. The minute that the graphics get good enough, I'm telling you, our, our like, our very like rudimentary lizard brains cannot distinguish between this world and the real world. And you look down and you see your VR hands and they really do feel like your hands, but you're holding these controllers, right? And you're walking through the, these worlds and they feel like dreams. They've got the quality of dreams. You can go anywhere. You could fly and it feels like you're flying. You can, you know, so there are these like, kind of shitty avatars that don't have legs so you float around and you can make yourself look however you want 
so you can play with identities and then you go in and you you're really talking to it's like kind of like a vr chat room you'll just like talk to other people who are also in this metaverse room and it's going to get to the point where it's indistinguishable so it's like you could feel like you're in another country it was really scary i got off of that being like i hate that this exists because it's going to ruin everyone's life so that was cool. Um, I actually felt so uh, you can get nauseous if you're in it for too long. I wasn't even in it for that long, but I felt so car sick afterwards because oh, the motion of it. That. Yeah. I'm really fascinated with that and how that's going to change art and AI and how that's going to change, you know, just like technology and um, just, yeah, different dystopian scenarios and all that fun stuff. Nice positive note to end <laughs> yeah. on. I feel like I don't watch the news enough that I like don't read the news enough that I was so um, illiterate on the metaverse. Like this is blowing my mind. <laughs> oh, so was I. I had no idea. It's a whole thing. Wow. It's um wild. It's insane. Yeah. Well, I I this is a real long one. We've almost been going three hours, and we had an unrecorded one and a half hour pre-show. Damn, truly, how did we do this. I don't know space and time. You know what? We're in the metaverse. Yeah, <laughs> this is it. You're incredible. Oh I'm God, so grateful. You. This is this is really cool, and I'm I'm so happy to know you and that your book exists, and I'm can't wait for the novel. And this is this is really cool. I'm I'm so glad that. We were connected, and thank you for taking the time. To, you have actual, like, legit, important in, interview, but we pushed it off to do my silly, like, basically garage production. No, they're <laughs> all the same to me. It's not, that's not how I look at it at all. I feel so honored that I got to spend the day with you, and I just met you, and that's so fun and weird, and it's all because of my weird book. I know, <laughs> and our neighbors. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. great. Um, all right, well, we, we end taking a deep breath, so okay. inhale. Let it out. <sighs> cool. Thank you, Nada. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end, part one and part two of my conversation with Nada Alec. If you haven't already bought her book, Bad Thoughts, get yourself a copy. She's incredible, and I think you'd really like the book. She also reads the audiobook, which is cool. So if you want to listen, if you like listening to things like you may, if you are a podcast listener, I recently wanted to check it out and I downloaded it and I thought it was really cool that she read it. So if you want to hear more of her voice reading you her book, that is also an option. I'm so grateful again that you're here. If you liked this show, please send it to a friend. If you want to join in process, if you want to learn more about what that is, it's a way to help each other stay connected and feel supported while we make things, while we write, while we make art, while we try to be a person in this world and eat food and do all the things that Nada and I were talking about. But I, I truly think she's incredible and I'm so grateful that she was here. If you'd like to tell us that you listened, you know, you know where to find us. This podcast has its own Instagram and you're welcome to, to let us know there or wherever you would like to let us know. But I am so grateful that you're here. Again, share it with a friend or, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to say it. If you want to leave a review on iTunes or a star on Spotify, it's so embarrassing to ask. But you know what? We kind of talked about this and this that it really does help. And instead of trying to 
you know, be cool and pretend that it doesn't. I'm just going to straight up ask. So that would be incredible if you want to support this show by doing those things. And I want to keep doing it. So I'll be back with new episodes next week. And if you're new here, welcome. There's an archive. And truly, I love you. I love that I get to do this. And I hope I get to record many more. And thank you to our amazing editor, who's not even a new editor anymore. She took over from Mike, who has, has been with us for, was was with Let It Out for a really long time. And, and Brie saved the podcast. Brie is my friend, and she's probably smiling or or blushing right now, but we're hanging out tonight and right now she's gonna edit this and she also works at the shop that I work at. Oh, and get this, Nada came into the shop because we live in the same neighborhood, we live very close together. And Brie obviously recognized her and recognized her voice and Brie was working, I wasn't there and, and Brie was like, I edited a podcast with you yesterday and Nada was like oh my god I'm sorry which is so Nada and Brie was like no it was great and anyway so they got to me which was incredible and it just you know this whole thing is incredible I'm I'm so grateful that I'm here that you're here that Nada was here that that Brie is here it, it's really wonderful all right I better get this to Brie and we'll put this episode together and Thank you. I, I hope that maybe we all get to be together in person at some point and I don't know how or when or if that will happen, but I believe there's a world in which it could. Bree and I are going to see a live podcast together tonight. One of my favorite shows. All right. I will talk to you soon. Bye bye. my research team um who lives happens to live with this this photo hung up in their house super weird to send me this photo um just to just to show you oh my god wait <laughs> Maybe, is, that, is that you yeah me oh. and uh, unclear my ghost I'm not sure why the photographer oh chose to send me that? that absolutely that's incredible I think maybe when we post about this we put those two together we have to <laughs> wow God, the double photo yeah, is incredible. A lot going on there. That um, is so spooky. Yeah, my mom just said, I was like, can you send me that thing in the, because I saw yours. Oh my God, mm -hmm. so good. It really exceeded expectations.